0: Uh, turn to Ruth chapter four, uh, Pastor Brett graciously has allowed me to, to, to preach a couple times here in the last few weeks. I just want to honor him for allowing for believing in me. Um, and so I, instead of doing uh, like a fancy series, what I wanted to do is just go to a book of the Bible, open it up and allow for it to speak to us. And um, for today, what I, I would like to talk about is I want to look at the life of Boaz, and I, I want to title this, Manhood Beyond Borders. Manhood Beyond Borders. In a cultural moment that we're in, where manhood is being deconstructed at best, demonized at worst, what does it look like for us to have a biblical approach and understanding of, what, of how Jesus has designed for us as men to be in this moment? Let's pray. Father, even saying that title, people are thinking in their hearts, is he really going here? And Lord, I thank you that your word is going to speak clearly with grace, with clarity, with power. God, every, every story address that is in this room, you're going to speak to our hearts. We thank you for what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, our family spent um, several years in Nashville, and we love Nashville, but one of the perks in Nashville is that um, we had a hookup for all of the athletic events at Vanderbilt. Uh, Now, if you know anything about Vanderbilt athletics, outside of the baseball, uh, they're pretty much the worst, Um, but what's cool about Vanderbilt football is that you get some really good teams that come in, right? So, Uh, Now they get killed and that's okay. But um, so we, we, uh, we got myself and my three sons, we got a chance to go watch Vanderbilt play Ole Miss. It was a night game. It was just, it was really a a cool experience. Uh, We got there around three or so in the afternoon and, and we, we left at 11. We're, we're going back to the car. So excited. Uh, Just, you know, just all, all of us kind of on a high because of the fact that Vanderbilt did, uh, they won for the first time in five years. And so, you know, it was a big deal. So we're, we're going back to our, home, to our car, and we, I went to go open up the car, and it was dead. And I tried it again. I was like, you know, this car was kind of new, and so I was like, surely this thing isn't dead. And so I, I didn't leave the lights on. It was 3 in the afternoon. And what we found out was that the seat warmers had malfunctioned. One of my kids had accidentally turned on the seat warmer, and, and something seemingly insignificant, had now, because of the fact that they malfunctioned, the car malfunctioned. We overlooked it. We dismissed it. Surely, like, the, like that's the last thing we're thinking about is seat warmers. Because of a malfunction with something small, it controlled the malfunctioning of something big. What sociologists have really explained is that this analogy really speaks to the role of manhood in our society. That as the man goes, society goes. Let me say that again. As the man goes, society goes. Now, we know that. That, that, as, that as the man goes, the home goes. As the man goes, the church goes. As the man goes, society goes. And conversely, if if there is the potential for there to be Men who are built with strong character, with strong purpose, that produce life everywhere that they go, that as the man goes, society can go positively. Conversely, where there is are men who are malfunctioning, a society malfunctions. And now we know know this, but I just want to give you proof as a result of what, again, sociologists have found in data. That men who have punted on their role as fathers, this is the result. 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 85% of all behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-run institutions come from fatherless homes. Children from low-income two-parent homes outperform middle-class kids from fatherless homes. Youth from fatherless homes are twice as likely to engage in criminal activity than those with a father in the home. Fatherless children are five times as likely to live in poverty, repeat a grade, and have emotional problems. Love what I, the, the, the writer Robert Bly in his book, Iron John, this is what he says. Not receiving any blessing from a father is an injury. If you're a young man and you're not being admired by an older man, you're being hurt. Not seeing your father when you're small, never being with him, having a remote father, an absent father, a workaholic father is an injury. Now, I say all of that and that's heavy, but I'm saying it in the context of a local church. Where we believe, we actually believe that God has called us to create an environment and a culture where men are built up. Where men have, find hope and courage. Where men find both a connection with Jesus and a connection with people. That one of the reasons, one of the, the, the marching orders of our church is to win the city. Well, how do we win the city? We win the city with men who have found their purpose and their identity in Jesus Christ. That we, we actually believe, and, and if you're hearing this and you're hearing this through the grid of condemnation, I just want to offer just let's just go ahead and pull the plug on that right now. This is a message of hope. That no matter where you find yourself, no matter what your context is, it may not have worked out with mom, but that doesn't mean that you have to punt on your responsibility and your privilege of being a father with those kids. And so what I want to do is I want to look at manhood beyond borders. And no matter where you are in the spectrum here today, you might be a single woman. And what I'm going to give to you, I truly believe is everything that you need to find the man that God has created you to have. And don't settle for anything less than what I communicate. not not what I communicate, what the Bible communicates. If you are a A single mom, I've been praying for you all week long. Because I truly believe that you are going to almost receive a two-sided coin of hope. A coin of hope that now speaks to the future that God has for you when it comes to your desire to be married, if that desire exists. Simultaneously, the responsibility that you hold to to try to be both mom and dad, to young men in your home... And how exhausting that is and overwhelming. This message is going to bring you hope. If you're a husband. Let me just say this. There's nothing sexier than you taking notes. At a moment like this. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I'm trying to help you. That you writing down notes. And I know you don't write down notes. Because that's not manly or whatever. But, but this is the moment to change all of that. To, to like... Like bump your wife and say, I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes, woman. I'm doing it. If you need a pen, just raise your hand. We've got ushers. In them. <laughs> that this is a message, again, this is a message of hope and a message that we desperately need to hear. And so let's go to Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to read six verses. Um, it's going it's to feel a little, when I read this, it's going to feel a little far-fetched and... And confusing, but I'll explain it. Ruth chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi The book of Ruth has crescendoed in Ruth chapter 4. This is a defining moment that is happening in front of us. As a summary of what's going on in this book, Ruth chapter 1, we find of a man named Elimelech. Um, They live in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And in the house of bread, there is no bread because there is a famine, which is ironic. The result is that Elimelech decides that he is going to take his family from the house of bread and go to Moab. Which is, if you just, just look, just open up the Old Testament and Mo, just Moab isn't good. It's just, if you're going there, you're probably missing out on everything that God has for. you. But he decides to go there. And when he goes there, um, the husband dies. Sons die. But Before the sons die, they marry two women. One is Ruth. And the, and, and the other, her name is Orpah. Orpah decides to leave, and Ruth says to Naomi, I'm going to cleave to you. I'm going to be with you. And nothing ever can ever shake that, that your God is going to be my God. It's a defining moment in Ruth chapter 1. They go into Bethlehem, and then Ruth chapter 2 begins, and we discover this man. He is a kinsman redeemer. His name is Boaz. Kinsman redeemer is very important in the Old Testament structure And you'll find it in Deuteronomy chapter 25. If you want to look at that, it's just verses 1 to 6. And it's a system where God cares for the widow. And he cares for the line of the husband who died to continue. As well as for the land to remain in the home. That He he wants to ensure that no widow is going to be left without. And so he's created this system, a very important one, Called the Redeemer. And the Redeemer's responsibility is that if, if, someone, if your brother or distant cousin died and you were the next Redeemer in line, it was your responsibility to add that family into your family. It was not a suggestion. It was a commandment. Very important. Well, what we find in Ruth chapter 4 is this, what the writer is doing is he's creating this literary move called a Contrast. Contrast between two people. Now, in the book of Ruth, no other men speak except for these two. And one we know is his name is Boaz. We'll talk about him in just a second. But the other one, his name is we don't know. He's nameless. And it's it's very important that we catch that because what the author is doing is he is letting us know that because He would rather have convenience over obedience. He will be nameless. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but it's easy for me to write myself into the strong character of a story. Have you ever done this where, um, like, we're reading this and we're all, I mean, especially if you're a guy, you're like, I'm Boaz. I am Boaz. That's me. I like people. Occasionally. I I mean, my, for a long time with, with my kids, you know, we'd be watching the game and my kids would be like, Hey, especially Jeremiah's like, Hey dad, can you do that? Can you play hockey like that? Can you play basketball like that? Can you play football? And as a young father, I'm like, yes, the older I get, I'm like, if I really work hard and fast and pray, I'll, I'll be a water boy. There ain't no way I'm doing any of that. I'm too old. But it's easy for us to write ourselves into the strong character, but I want us especially as men to see that we are the nameless man. You have to you have to own, we all do. We have to own this. Naturally, what we do is what he did. He has an opportunity to step into this role and responsibility of what he's made for, but he cares more about his brand his comfort, his success, and his story more than adding people to that story. Now, what's amazing is that we find the seed of Adam in the nameless man, right? Like, like we, we see Adam in what he's doing. Like with Adam, he was passive. This man's passive. With Adam, his, his sole focus is himself, this man, his sole focus is his own comfort. And before we get into the message too deep, um, I, think, I think it's important for all of us to know that our starting point is, is where this, this man is. But what's amazing is that I, I don't really feel like I don't really attack him too much because he, he's, he's just living within the borders of what every other man in that society did. Do you remember judges? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, right? So all this nameless man is doing is living just like El- 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 sorry, Elimelech did. That was a tough one. That what he's doing is that he's just reflecting the heartbeat of what that culture was. He's doing what he had been seeing and the water that was drinking, it was a border that he was living in. And I'm telling you as a culture right now, when it comes to manhood, that for most of us, we live in this border where it's about our own comfort that we live in a border of, of what's best for me. We live in a border of having a strong wife who does it all. So we don't have to do much. This is the border of what manhood kind of looks like right now. And yet what I love about the story is that you have Boaz who is a man beyond the borders is that you have this, this man who is otherworldly, this hero in Boaz, this, this, this dude who in the, in a moment where one individual is backing off on his responsibility, Boaz steps in and says, is it going to cost me? Absolutely. Is this going to call is this going to put pressure on me? Is this going to be uncomfortable? Absolutely, one hundred percent, but guess what? I am stepping into a responsibility where men are now not just stepping out but running away that This is what we find in this character of Boaz, and so what I want to do is I want to look at what made him a man beyond borders, a man beyond borders and and men can I just continue? To encourage you that in, in a world where the current tide, the the, the riptide is pulling us into the space of focusing on ourself. My own comfort. Me. It's, it's me at home, it's me at church, it's me at when it comes to my workplace. My life is about me. And yet, what we're gonna find is a man who doesn't live for himself. And let me just this is gonna ruin the whole story, but. Boaz is, a, is really a foreshadowing of someone greater. We're going to find that Boaz is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. That what we have is that Boaz isn't just living this moral tale for you and I to go, yeah, be like Boaz. No, no, no. This is about us seeing a man who does the impossible, who points to someone greater in Jesus, who does the impossible, who now invites you and I to live into this cultural moment of being Boaz men who live beyond borders. And so the first thing that we, that we notice, it's poignant and it's powerful. It is surrender beyond borders. Surrender beyond borders. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. This is what it says. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, a worthy man. If you can't just circle that, underline this, 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 this just d- description, a worthy man. Now, in the original language of Hebrew, this, this word... Worthy man actually means a man full of substance. That we're, we're going to find out he's very wealthy, but what eclipses his wealth is his character. In fact, what we find is that this is the very same Hebrew word that is used in Judges chapter 6 when it comes to the life of Gideon. That he, that he is a, a strong and courageous man. He's, he's a warrior. Greetings, mighty warrior. Like, this is the same word used to describe this dude, Boaz, even his name means strong of spirit, strong of spirit. Even when it comes to to the power of this dude and his his legacy, that his name was written on Solomon's, um, the, the temple that he had, he had one specific column that had Boaz's name etched as an expression of how strong this man was. What I love about when it comes to this idea of bursting full of character is that reputation is who people think that you are, but your character is who you actually are. Take care of your character, and your reputation will take care of itself. Be consumed with reputation and neglect character, and you will be found out to be a hypocrite. Isn't that powerful? That what you have in, in this man, Boaz, is that his life, it oozed character every place that he went. I'll, I'll, I'll describe it in just one second. But what is also very ironic is that here you have this man, Boaz, who's described as a worthy man. But guess what Ruth is described as? Look in Ruth. Just, just write, write this down. Ruth 3.11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow uh, Townsmen, know that you are a worthy woman. Isn't it fascinating that you attract who you are? Mm, Worthiness attracts worthiness. And as the young kids say, ratchetness (laughs) attracts... I'll never say that word ever again. (laughs) Never said it before, never say it again. Now, what's, what's, what's amazing, if you're single, like, your whole focus is, I'm trying to get my eyes on a worthy man. If, if you are a woman, that's what you're focused on. But what we're t- told here in the text is, is that when it comes to Boaz and Ruth, both, they were concerned about a worthy, they were concerned about being worthy. They were concerned about them. That if they focused on their own character, developing it, strengthening it, rooting it in that which can last God was going to bring the worthy person. It was going to only a matter of time. Now, now, what is what made for this dude when it comes to Boaz? What made this man have this type of character? I uh, there should be a, a picture behind me. It's the M- Millennium Tower. It's in San Francisco. And what what I found out about San Francisco is that all of the buildings in this city are built on landfill. And what you have to do when you're building this building, now you'll notice that it's leaning, uh, that it's, 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 it's not just, you know, it's not just beginning to lean, it's beginning to sink. And what happens when it comes to the process of building in San Francisco is that you've got to dig beyond the landfill and you've got to hit bedrock. And if you don't do that, then what you build will ultimately not just lean, but it'll begin to sink. Now, what we found out when it comes to the nameless man, he was building his life on success and his own comfort, and his life was sinking. It was leaning. He, he didn't go through to hit bedrock. But what you have in Boaz is you have a man who goes through the landfill to hit bedrock, to hit that which was firm, that which could not be shaken. It couldn't. And what we find is that, is that even in, for example, in verse 2-4, uh, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord be with you. Now that seems like it's a normal kind of uh, back and forth, but that is a Levitical greeting that Boaz as as an owner of a business was introducing the foundations of a life built on Yahweh and his word into every part of his life, including his business. That this is a man who found his identity not in what he had, but whose he was. Everything that he was, was built on, established on, rooted in the law. It was powerful to him. And I'll prove it it in uh, verse 2, verse 15 and 16. This is what it says. Boaz, a man, I'm sorry. uh, When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. And also put out some for the bundles for her. And leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Now, that sounds pretty normal. But what this is, what's happening is that this is a man who knows Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. That that God had set up a welfare system. that, That he had created this, not just suggestion, but commandment that if you're a business owner, that you will... You, you will reap 90% of your field, and you'll leave the edges for those who don't have work, who are mainly women who have lost their husbands. Wow. And so what God is doing is creating the system where he's giving these people the dignity of work. Wow. But it was up to the business owner for them to have the courage to not just know what to do, but now do it even when it costs them. Like What, what God's saying is, leave some money on the table, man. Leave your profit on the table. I got you. Now the question is, is a business owner going to do it? We find that Boaz, Boaz does it. This is a man. His, that all that he is, his money, his character, his business, even we're going to find out in chapter 3, his sexual ethic is built on the beauty and transcendency of God's law and ultimately who God is, his nature and character. That that what we have in this man, Boaz, is that we have this surrender beyond the borders. No one was living like this. And it began for him in a relationship with God's word that was powerful. It was defining. Everything that he did, how he lived, came out of how he studied, understood, and meditated on God's word. So I, I know that as men especially, you're looking at me going, I love it. Thanks for this but how do I read my Bible? Like, how do I start this, Corey? Because you know what? To be honest with you, my rhythm of reading the Bible is the verse of the day. And that's all I got. And you know what? I'm so thankful that, you, that you're starting there. But when it comes to and men, men who are living beyond borders, a verse of the, of the, of the, the day is the exception. It's not the rule. That, that we now have the we're invited into living a life where we're rooting ourselves in God's word in such a way that we're not reading it to get something. We're reading it so that we cannot just read it. It reads us. It begins to read you. It begins to read who you are. It begins to read what you are, you're actually facing in your current condition. And yet at the same time, it reads you in the hope that now can be found in Jesus Christ. And a, a strategy that I've used, and I'm just going to say this, fly through it, Write it down if you would like, but I use this acrostic and I've been doing this for the, the maybe, like the last, maybe 10 years road, R O A D read, observe, ask, do. This is how I read the Bible. I take a text, uh, I, and I, and I just simply read it in multiple translations. I probably read it. I, I don't usually read a chapter. I just read a couple of paragraphs and I read it in multiple translations and I go from reading to observing. I, I identify everything I see in, in this text. I mean, I fill up the margins with observations and then I move right into ask. I ask crazy, stupid questions. But I, I want to put all of my questions out there because what I'll notice is that, the, is that the Bible will begin to interpret itself if I allow it to. And then do. What do I need to do as a result of what I've read? Now, this is what it looks like for me, is that, is that 10 years ago, I was going through this moment where I read 1 John 1, and I, and I, I, I read it like, like for some of you, you read a chapter like that, but that, this is what it says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I was immediately convicted of sin that I had in my heart that was concealed, and then I was also convicted of the fact that I was walking alone. Isolated. And so now I'm reading this Bible and I'm not just reading it and, sk- and skipping over, although it would be easy to do that. But I, I had this wrestling moment where the Bible is going to cost me right now. What am I going to do with what I'm reading? Am I going to read it and actually begin to invite men into my life to help drag sin into the light? Or am I going to skip over it? Right? Like This is what it means to actually wrestle with the text so that we can be men who have this this transcendent surrender, a surrender beyond borders, but it begins with a treasuring of God's word. We've got to get to a place where we go beyond just a verse of the day and begin to wrestle with the text because I'm telling you, when you do that, it begins to form you and shape you and, trans- and transform you into the image of the firstborn son. Not just surrender beyond borders, but sight beyond borders, sight beyond borders. This is what it says. Then... Boaz, this is in uh, verse 5. Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Love that. The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. What we find is that what you're surrendered to determines what and how you see. When you have a surrender, that is beyond borders, it begins to affect how you see, that you see beyond your own needs. You begin to see that which has been in front of you all along. Needs, opportunities, you begin to see through a new perspective. This is um, a picture of my son. Uh, this is my firstborn son. When he was about 10 months, he received uh, glasses. These were his first pair of glasses with little hooks. We found out that he was severely farsighted. He could see a mile away, he just couldn't see the cheerio in front of him. The result of that was that he was unable to really crawl or walk. He would roll everywhere. Get stuck. It was kind of funny. <laughs> Not really. Um, and then, and then we, we took him to get a, a pair of glasses. The doctor was very nonchalant. Hey, it's no big deal. Let's get him some glasses. And so we put these on him. And when we put them on him, this young boy who was our son, but a version of our son that, um, that we had kind of gotten used to. When he, he put these on, all of a sudden he started pointing to things and smiling. And like the world came alive for our son. And, and not only did, did he get to a place of his, his transformed sight causing joy in how he lived, transformed sight caused mobility. within a matter of weeks, my man started to not just crawl, but then he began to walk. Within a matter of weeks. What happens when you have a surrender that is rooted in Jesus Christ, in his word, in his presence? What happens is that you now get his glasses? You begin to see the world through a brand new set of lenses. And see, what's so beautiful about this is that this is how Jesus lived. I mean, I don't have time to go through it, but in Luke 13, there's a, a woman who's bent over. 18 years, she's had a disabling spirit. She's in the back. Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. All of a sudden, in the middle of his message, he stops. And it, what the text said, and he saw her. He said, woman, come here. He touched her, healed her. Even the, the, even the verses that were read this morning from Pastor Tiff. I mean, didn't Jesus teach his disciples to live like this too, to have a transcendent sight? That you have the disciples who are walking along. And what happens with James and John? Like, they actually, I'm sorry, Peter and John. They stop and they see need that had been there all along. But because they had a transcendent purpose and a surrender, it allowed for them to pause and acknowledge the need and then do something about it. Like, This is our opportunity as men, especially, to lead our family in having a surrender that's rooted in Christ. That's beyond borders. Because what happens is that as a family, you begin to get a pair of glasses collectively. Pastor Brett, over the last year and a half, when this pandemic began, he looked at me and he said, Corey, you are going to guide our church in meeting needs but it's going to require you see through a brand new pair of glasses. And so from that point forward, guess what? He was always asking me, how's my time in the word? How's my soul? He wasn't worried about what I was doing or where I was leading us. His worry, his focus, all of his attention was making sure that I was rooted in a surrender that was beyond borders. If, I, if my surrender was right, my sight was going to be right, right? Like this is what it looks like to begin to take some traction and take some ground in regards to manhood. That we can do this. I'm telling you, God has created us to be a people who lead the charge in not just you as men, but as well as, as when it comes to the types of young men that you are beginning to invest into. And then this last one, I love this. Service beyond borders. Look at verse 8. I'm almost done. You're doing so good. (laughs) Then then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or or leave this one. But keep close to to the young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. A surrendered life impacts his sight and now motivates his service through protecting and providing. Protecting and providing. I mean, don't we see this in Jesus when in Mark ten forty-five, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that his whole transcendent purpose, he was surrendered to the Father, he saw people, and now his existence was to now exhaust himself, lose his rights so others could find theirs. But here's the reality. And we've, we've got to get our arms around this. Boys take, but Boaz men give. And if you think about, like, Corey, one of the reasons, I I just don't feel like I've got what it takes to take these these next steps in serving. Here's what entitlement is. Consumption without contribution equals entitlement. Consumption without contribution equals entitlement. Now, here's here's where we are as a church. Um, We have a plan for the next 10 years to embody the love of Jesus to continue to not just meet needs and see needs, but to now offer Jesus and to see his presence do transformative work in the context of our city. What began 18 months ago is not going to stop. And so some of the needs that I'm seeing is the need of foster care. It is significant is out of control. And the only way that this can be met with us collectively as a church is if we have men who lead the charge and look at the need and go, I will exhaust who I am for those who are disenfranchised and don't have a voice. We are stepping into an opportunity with the Herndon Pyramid. It's six schools in Herndon. Most of them are Title I schools. And we have been given permission to mentor. To mentor. Well, this past Thursday, I was... At a prayer vigil where there were, and you'll see a video about it in just a few minutes, um, you may have saw this on the, on the news, there was a, a woman and her two kids who were murdered in Herndon at the um, apartment complex that we've been serving for the last 18 months through Mobile Hope. We served this family for the last six months. Her boyfriend killed her and the two kids, and then killed himself. This past week, on Thursday, we were hosting a vigil for the community to gather around these lives and to mourn them, to lament, and yet to celebrate. And I was talking to the principal of the school that these kids went to, and I was asking her, what do you need? Without hesitation, she looks at me and she said, men. She said, I've got 30 young men at this school, 30, that are just like this young boy who just died. Without a voice in their life. Without support. Without someone to tell them who they really are. Without someone to come alongside them and love them right where they are. I've got nothing. I need men. I've, I can't beg men to show up to help us. Church, this is how we protect and provide for our community. But it also includes protecting and providing for your kids at home. I had a conversation. This is a little bit on... A, lighter end, but I had a conversation with my daughter about dating. She said to me, she's 16, she said, Dad, what are you going to do when guys start wanting to ask me out? <laughs> it was a great beginning of the conversation. I just, and I have been thinking about this because it, ha- it has not occurred yet, but it's going to. And, and so I just said, without hesitating, I said, well, I'm going to bring out all of my financials. My 401k, my current bank statement, won't take long. Um, I'm going to bring it all out. I'm going to show him what I'm worth. Because I want him to know that what he's taking out is worth 10 times more than what I'm showing him. And then what I'm also going to do is um, by the time that this happens, I'm going to get a bat. And no, 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 no. I'm, let, let me finish the story. That I'm on the bat is just going to have the simple term, respect her. Respect her. And I'm going, to talk, I'm going to talk about how this young man, I'm going to make sure that we're on the same page, that you will respect her, her mind. You will respect her body. You will respect her every part of who she is. And if you agree to that, you can sign the bat. You can sign the bat. And, and when, when, I, when I describe this, you should have seen the look of terror and excitement on this girl's face. Uh, like, she couldn't believe I was saying this, but I, I've, been, I've been thinking through this. I know what I'm going to do. And this isn't platitudes. I'm really going to do this. This is what it looks like for us to protect. This is what it looks like. Now, is that over the top? Absolutely. It really is. I know that. I'm not trying to threaten anyone with a bat, although it is kind of cool. Um, this, but when you think about your life as a man, I want you to think it through the context of protecting. Protecting, providing. So what is this? How do we land this? What is the impact of a life beyond borders? This is Ruth chapter four. This is the last verse I'll read. There the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, Boaz. And and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. When Boaz first met Ruth, she was homeless. She had been grieving her lost husband. She was without a child. Most theologians I've read said that she couldn't have a child, which was a stigma in that day and age, that she was probably navigating a level of depression. And when she meets Boaz, Boaz restores her dignity. Boaz gives her a voice. Boaz believes in her. Boaz supports her and now brings her from the depths of despair to now she's going to be the great grandmother of David. You see, as men, we're going to be tailwinds or headwinds when it comes to the women that we serve. A tailwind is that which goes behind you and you can get to your destination a lot faster. A headwind is going to be a blockade. It's going to slow you down. And what I love about Boaz in this example is that he gives us the hope that as men on this earth, we can be headwind men, tailwind. I'm sorry, ta- tailwind, not headwind. And, and really at the end of this story, this is not just a moral tale. This points us to Matthew chapter one, where Boaz shows up again. And he shows up, in the line of Jesus Christ himself. What Matthew's doing is he's creating this overarching story of all of the people who have been involved in the formation of the Messiah. And guess who is in it? It's Boaz. And you know why, but why this man Boaz is in this, this tale, this narrative? is because Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ. With Jesus, he had a surrender beyond borders. He surrendered to his father. In Boaz, what you have is you have a man who hasn't just surrendered beyond borders. He has a sight beyond borders. He sees with compassion. And then he served. He served through, through the way by which he provided and he protected. And what Jesus shows us is Jesus shows us what it looks like to live the impossible life as a man in society. It reminds me of this final story. God, by name of, this is my favorite movie. This is free solo. It's Alex Honnold. And if you've never seen this, it's worth it to go check this thing out. But here this, this dude is. I think he's got, a, he got a, a, a picture or two behind me. And what he did is he climbed El Capitan 3,000 feet high. And he did it without a rope. He did it with, without a rope. And he did it in less than two hours. And this man did what no man, at least within the climbing world, this was seen to be the impossible climb. You're doing this and you're going to die in the process. And he did it. He conquered the impossible. Well, in Jesus, you have a man who has climbed the impossible mountain of sin. Do you realize that? He climbed this mountain and he has defeated that which has been defeating humanity since the very beginning. And this, this line, this DNA that is in all human humanity, specifically in men, to be passive, to abdicate our roles and responsibility, in Jesus Christ you have a man who stepped up, who faced all of sin and death, and he conquered it. He climbed this mountain, and now he looks to you and I as men and says, follow me. I'll make you a better Boaz. Boaz. I'll allow you to see right, to lead right, to be quick to forgive, quick to repent. I'll make you the man that you have been created on this earth to be. And gentlemen, I'm telling you, we are made to live beyond borders. And wives, thank you for believing in us in our journey to be that.